Welcome to On the Bubble Podcast, episode 39. I'm your host, Sabasa J. Ueda, and with me is my co-host, Yuki Lee Bender. In today's episode, we'll be begin talking about Monarch Limited and give you a big picture thought about the format. It's been a little bit since we've actually recorded a new podcast episode. How? What have you been up to so far? I've mostly just been enjoying the off-season, to be honest. Um, work is pretty busy with the school year finishing up, um, so I've just been playing like a little bit of fab going to armories here and there and then otherwise playing other games i've been playing um street fighter 6 i'm very bad at it and i've been playing um honkai star rail as well and just kind of you know filling in the filling in the time with other things before we ramp up to dusk till dawn and national season we i guess we also had an rtn season that we kind of moved past like we recorded at the first week of rtn and then we haven't recorded since or something like that yeah, it's been a little bit hectic from my side. I'm back in school now for a little bit. It was like midterms and I also just ended up having to take care of my friend's cat so that I wasn't at my usual setup. It was like a little bit awkward to record, so we just didn't. And uh, I was uh, getting behind on editing, which I am now all caught up. And then now recording this, I have more to edit again. <laughs> Perfect. The life of uh, of podcasting. How did RTN season go for you? I top aided the sorry, I top for the first event? Yeah, it was the first event I went to. So I locked up my invite at a draft RTN, ended up drafting I think I just ended up drafting Ninja 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 in that draft. And it was uh it was good. I just did my typical get as many three blocks as possible, get zero pitch blues and one cost big damage attack uh how did you do in the rtn season yeah the first event i started off with a terrible azalea deck i went uh 2 and then got a buy and then i managed to 3-0 the next pod for a 4-2 which i thought would be good enough with 19 players but i actually ended up bubbling um second rtn treated me a little bit better i actually had the same record at the end of swiss 4-2 i went 3-0 with i think a pretty good uh Benji deck was it? Definitely a ninja deck. And then um, I went one two actually with uh, with Azuri in the next draft. I think kind of maybe shouldn't have been Azuri. I'm not sure. I felt like my deck was okay. I just kind of got rolled by Azaleas to be honest. So so maybe it's more just like the Azaleas decks were really good than my deck. My deck wasn't great, but it also was like totally fine and then i drafted a pretty insane arachne deck in top uh, that that sorry in top eight i drafted a pretty insane arachne deck that i managed winning managed to win the event with i had in pack three after i was already arachne i opened a red back shroud and then i proceeded to play against a riptide on in the quarterfinals and uh this riptide had like seven Widowmakers in his deck or something, and he's just planning to fatigue me with Widowmakers. But because Redback Shroud has Blade Break, you can just block with it over and over again, even though it doesn't have defense value after the first block, and just keep turning off their Widowmakers, which is um, a little bit disgusting. <laughs> that and Trench. Oh, actually, Trench has Blade Break, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Uh, you can keep using Vamp Brace, though, if you don't pay. Oh, yes, it's just that. Red Brack. Nah. Redback Shroud and Vambrace is the only two cards in the set that actually turns off Widowmakers for good. Yeah, it is uh, pretty insane. That, that card was it was not only insane in that matchup, but it was also just insane in all my other games because I had uh, Short and Sharps and Spikes. I, I think I had like an end game where my opponent was low. I think he was at like th- three or four. And I had a uh, Spider's Bite into Spring Loaded. So one and five, and then I had a red short and sharp in my arsenal with red back shroud up. And it's just like, if he doesn't block the dagger, I short and sharp him. If he blocks the dagger, I can still short and sharp the spring load because it has base power two or less and it doesn't cost me anything. So I'm just presenting like six damage with the spider's bite plus the three. So that's nine damage. And like, there's this reaction that can go on either attack that he can't really play around ever because of um, red back shroud is just really gross. That sounds really gross. <laughs> yeah. So we both have our Nats invite. Have you already booked your flight for Nats? I actually haven't. I need to uh, I need to do that. I have some family actually out in Toronto area that I might I might try and 
set aside some time to visit them as well. So I'm sort of figuring that out. But I have booked my US Nats um, trip already to Vegas just for the uh, not not playing in US Nats, but playing in the calling. That's fair. That's fair. I actually don't think I'm going to go to US Nats now. Uh, being a student again, I'm like broke. I'm not working at all. I have no money. It is. Um, it's really sad not having money to go to these events. Yeah, especially um, I think anybody that's been listening for a while knows that Jay Jay loves Vegas and poker and gambling. So surprise, like I would say, surprised that you can't make it. But I also totally understand that when you're a student and you're not working, it is it's very tough. Yeah, and if I somehow randomly managed myself to like book a flight to Vegas and get there. It's like I have comped rooms and stuff like that too. So like it's not that expensive to actually like get a hotel and stay there. It's just like, oh my god, it's so cheap to go there. It's actually cheaper to go to US nationals than it is to go to my Canadian nationals. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I gotta book that flight soon before it goes up in price as well though. Ugh man costs costs i might actually need to end up selling some random fab cards i actually ended up sorting up my mythics and like legendaries and i learned that i have like three tectonic platings and i currently have like three grasp of arc knights i should get rid of oh there you go you can just sell those and pay for your vegas trip yeah or maybe i sell like an eye of a fidelia because i haven't been played i haven't played that card for like over a year now and that card is worth way too much money that's fair and that probably fund most of your trip so as much as you know there are problems with card availability and pricing and we don't need to get into that whole conversation there there is sometimes upside as well in that you know you can use it to help fund your your journey and go on trips and stuff like that which is which is cool yeah okay so i got i got it the plan is maybe i sell one of my fables i book my flight to vegas go to vegas win the calling, win a gold foil, sell that gold foil, and then fund my Canadian Nationals trip. That's big brain. Yeah, just got to top the calling. Should be easy, right? Yeah, all the good players are playing in the Nationals event, right? Hopefully. (laughs) But I feel like people always say this about like PTs. I mean, I guess maybe that's more true for US Nationals because it's not quite as dense a field as the pt where like the pt it's like yeah you play the people that scrubbed out from the pt and are still monsters like a bunch of them are just really really good players anyways um but i guess maybe at nats maybe i don't know maybe it's a little easier wasn't pablo pintor one of them that scrubbed out of worlds yeah ended up top baiting the uh calling (laughs) destroying everyone at the calling yeah i think he top baited the calling on phi and then Lost to Ice Lexi or something. Yeah. Look, PT and Worlds a different story. Well, this is na- uh, US Nationals. Maybe it's not as like cutthroat as those events. That's true. But you might also have a bunch of Canadians traveling down there who don't have Nats until two weeks later. And uh, then you have to play against like, I don't know who, I don't know if they're all going, but like the whole Ontario crew is pretty, uh, pretty strong. Isaac Crew, Tarek Patel those guys um aaron chance matthew dilks and so on um, i'm sure i'm missing a bunch of them but um yeah i don't know might still not be the easiest event that's fair that's fair uh talking about these uh events uh they ha- uh, sorry flesh and blood had a premiere play announcement for second half of 2023 and they announced two more callings we have calling taipei and calling dallas fort worth they're both in October. Are you thinking about any of these so far? I've actually already booked a flight to Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, I guess I didn't talk about it in our life update section or how we've been doing, but I've kind of come to the, to the decision that I'm going to be taking a break from my regular teaching job um, and focusing a little bit more on my writing and coaching kind of fab-related and also not fab-related. I've been doing some writing for um, Honkai Star Rail as well, and hopefully that will continue. We'll see. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of wanting to try different things out. I do like teaching, but I feel a little bit burnt out with it, and I might do a combination of those kind of more flexible jobs and maybe some uh, part-time 
substitute teaching as well. And then that gives me a little more flexibility to travel to events. Um, so that's kind of what I'm planning to do for next year, still figuring out exactly what that looks like. It does mean I got to go to events like calling Dallas-Fort Worth because it turns out when you get to fly midweek prices, it's like $300 instead of $650 flying on the weekend. And then you're like probably late as well. Like you like you probably like don't really have time to play top eight if you make it and then get back to work or you need time off work. Like it's just, it gets really hard. Yeah, that's good. I'm honestly rooting for you to do well in these events. You can actually grind some of these callings. Like before you couldn't call, grind any of these events and we didn't have any events that we could actually get to in time. So yeah, you know, pretty excited to see you playing in these bigger events. Yeah, definitely excited to be able to do it. For for reference for people, it's still, it's going to take me, I think, one way is 10 hours and the other way is 12 hours because I can't get direct flights and there's layovers. So I spend a full day traveling either way. And then there's like the two days for the event. And so, you know, um, to be able to do it, that's already two days off work and I'm my my when I have the regular like classroom teacher job, I get three days off in the year. There's like nationals, worlds, PT. So just the idea of going to a calling is just like, yeah, it's, it's never going to happen. There's just no way unless I can somehow fly Friday night and then fly back Sunday night and still play top eight, which usually isn't the case. Another uh, event that's uh, caught my eye that I don't think either of us is going to was uh, Battle Hardened Tokyo. Tokyo is getting a Battle Hardened. Yeah, really sweet. It seems like the game is decently popular there from what I'm gathering. Like, it seems like it's picking picking up steam pretty quick. I know that um, Japan has a very big card game scene in general, so cool to see it getting picked up there. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited to see some of the Japanese players come in. Um, there's, like, a bunch of good Magic players or even other TCGs that are just, like, some of the Japanese players are insane at TCGs, and pretty excited to see, like, which one which ones will actually convert to Flesh and Blood and actually do well in it. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's more than enough talent out of Japan for TCGs that, like you said, it's a matter of, like, which ones end up picking it up and deciding that they want to get competitive with it and do well, then, like, it's not it's not a question of, like, if there will be good players. There will be good players. It's just a matter of who. Okay. Uh, let's actually move on to our main topic. We've talked quite a bit about non-monarch related stuff but uh yeah so canadian nationals u.s nationals all the nationals is going to be ending up drafting monarch for part of their event so we're gonna talk about monarch it's been when did this set even come out let's see actually yeah so while jay's doing that to give you some background we both started around monarch I was playing a little bit before Monarch on TTS. Like I remember buying Crucible first edition for reasonable prices in stores, but I was very much just like getting into the game and doing some online armories here and there. But Monarch was really uh, when Jig jumped on board with Flesh and Blood um, when I convinced him to play and was our first kind of like that was the first pre-release that I went to. So Monarch is a set that we actually have played and we've kind of talked about it before, but Vancouver tends to draft older sets because people here really enjoy drafting. So we actually have drafted, I don't know how much Monarch, like 15 times maybe? Yeah, I think. 10 to 15, 20, 10 to 20. I don't know exactly. It's like so spread out that it's hard to count. Yeah, I I would assume about 20 times because some of the double drafts been like Monarch and Uprising or like Monarch Arcane. There typically was a Monarch draft like it would be like WTR and Monarch or like, mm-hmm. you know, Arcane and Monarch. There's usually Monarch and our Tails and Monarch, you know, like Monarch was usually part of that, like one of the sets that we always drafted. All of that is to say it's a set that we do have experience with, although we've only really been playing it at the armory level. So um, I think we'll both be looking to kind of like brush up on the format a little bit and dive a little bit deeper going into Nats and just fully preparing the set for like a tournament setting. But we do have, I think, a pretty decent like baseline understanding of of the format that we can share with you, uh, begin sharing with you today. Looks like Monarch First Edition actually came out on May 7th, 2021. So basically two years ago. Two years ago. Wow. Doesn't feel that long ago. Yeah, it really doesn't feel that long ago. And I remember Yuki, the the way she sold the game to me was 
this game's not that expensive. You should try and play it. <laughs> to be fair, uh, I think when I said that was like before all the Monarch first prices spiked and when the primary format was Blitz. So decks were slower. relatively cheaper, like just because you needed fewer copies and like even E-Strike and Tunic weren't as expensive. And then shortly, like around when you started playing, everything went up pretty mm-hmm. significantly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Had had to buy Command and Conquer, had to buy E-Strikes, as I was playing Chain back then. Carrion Husk, Skullcap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was also like a matter of, at the time, like the most prestigious events were these online skirmishes, and like a lot of your other events were just online armories, and y- you can get away with not having that optimized a deck when it's like that casual of a setting i guess but as soon as you start getting to like road to nationals and nationals things obviously change uh quite a bit okay and then we'll just uh, move right into the the format breakdown what do you want to start with let's talk a little bit about each of the decks and kind of broad strokes what they're trying to do and then we can kind of talk about some of the key themes and some of the cards that you might be looking out for um we're especially going to be focusing on generics um but we do want you to have like a brief idea of each class before we kind of jump into that and we will do our usual class by class breakdown in future episodes where we you know do one episode on prism one episode on chain and so on so that that is coming but we want to give you like a little bit of uh background if you haven't played this format at all you want to talk about um prism to start i know that you've been pretty high on prism lately i think my personal thought is prism is the strongest hero in this set uh, I'm just going to read out the notes here. Prism is basically the guardian hero of the format. She has a lot of three blocks and all of her attacks just hit very hard. Lots of blues for Iris. So Iris of Reality is the weapon. This weapon actually doesn't attack on its own and you have to attack using auras that you create using cards or her ability. And then Iris turns that into an attack, and that will cost uh, three resources to attack with. And then she has access to Go again, which has in a how do I say this word? Inevitability. inevitability. Say that again. Uh, inevitability. It inevitably. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, she has access to some Go again. Yeah. She. She's usually like, she has access to go again, both from her Iris attacks, which come in for four go again. So it's sort of like a Anathos, like a one card Anathos, but it has go again. So you can, if you have multiple shields, you can chain these together. Um, and she also has cards like Spears of Surreality, which is a one for five Phantasm that has go again. So she is able to kind of go wide despite being the guardian of the format. And she does have the the drawback of having phantasm but typically the longer the game goes the better it is for prism because all of her cards are individually worth so much and i think so long as you have an aura she has the best weapon in the format yeah and uh we're just gonna briefly remind what phantasm does so phantasm reads if this card is defended by a non-illusionist attack action card with six or more attack power destroy this card and close a combat chain so if a card has go again with Phantasm, if you pop it, it loses, it will never resolve the go again portion of the card. So you can actually stop go again with popping like Spears of Reality. Importantly, it does have to be non-illusionist. I think that part is not necessarily intuitive if you haven't played the set, but all of your illusionist attacks are not poppers. I remember the first time I played the Prism Mirror, we were like both popping each other and I think we were playing on uh, discord and then someone was just like you know that's not how that works right and we're both like oh specifically has to be non-illusionist to pop very important let's uh move on to chain do you want to talk about it yeah so chain is this um very aggressive hero kind of like in cc that just like in cc is vulnerable to fatigue um, especially with the 30 card deck or sometimes you can play a few extra cards um, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind with Chain is that you really need to have a plan on how you're going to win the game because once you hit Shackle like four or five, you're pretty much out of deck. So you don't have very many turns to win and you you need to have 
you need to have thought about that while you're putting your deck together and before the game starts. If you're just kind of going in and playing cards and then trying to figure it out, I think it's going to be too late. This means that sometimes you might be pitch docking a late game. So this might be cards like like Seeping Shadows, Riftbind, and Seeds of Agony as sort of like a big Riftbind combo turn at the end of the game is a common way to close out the game. Or um, you can just have an access to enough go again and blood debt that you can just kind of run them over by making like 15 plus damage turns repeatedly. And I know that that tends to be a style that you kind of prefer for chain. I like just playing better cards in general and pitching a blue and doing a lot of damage every turn instead of like doing like 40 damage on the last turn. You very much need to know like which of these versions you are and we'll go in depth about that in the chain episode. But just keep in mind if you're playing chain, you need to have a clear path to victory, whether that's lots of go again and ability to go wide or and maybe do some arcane damage or um, some kind of rift bind pitch stack shenanigans to make like a 20 plus damage turn at the end of the game. Okay, and next is Levia. Levia is is a, definitely a brute of the format. She has a lot of six power cards, so basically has access to the most amount of poppers in the format, which is pretty good against Prism. She has a bunch of six power attacks, but most of them will have blood debt, and there are any ways to play these blood debt cards from your banish zone. You would need to turn it off using her hero ability by putting more cards with six power into your banish zone to turn it off. And because of that, she is just like, prone to if she goes too low and is forced to block with her whole hand she ends up dying to her own blood debt and there's going to be a lot of balance between balancing how much pressure you can put on your opponent so they can't put too much pressure back at you as well as trying to manage your blood debt in your banish and being able to kill your opponent at the same time so it's a pretty tricky deck to play and like honestly requires a pretty big brain how's how do i say it like even though it's a brute you need to have a pretty big brain to be able to play levia and definitely one of the trickier heroes to like put a deck together but if you can put everything together properly it's a pretty powerful deck yeah she can do some of the most above rate things like she has cards like graveling growl which is a one for seven at red um that requires you to have banished a six power to play it um but just Access to cards like that that are way above rate does make her very strong. But I guess similar to Chain, like the, both the Shadow Heroes really need to have some kind of road to victory. Um, for Leviah, that usually either means going wide with stuff like uh, Dread Screamer, Zealous Belting, Hooves of the Shadow Beast, or potentially um, going the other direction and having like going tall with dominate she has um a few ways to get dominate in the set and if you're able to do a couple big you know nine dominates then that can be a pretty good way to close the game but you need to have those kind of figured out beforehand and a plan to win or people can kind of i remember early in the format people would just kind of sit and block her and attack if they have extra cards and she would just kind of eventually not be able to turn off blood dead and die to herself or, or take so yeah. much damage that she's just too far behind yeah, it's really funny when once Levia's at 10 life, you're just like, oh, can I rip her whole hand? If I do, I win the game. Y- yeah, yeah. Things get pretty dire when you when you get too far behind and you have a bunch of blood debt. So there's usually this really careful decision making of like stocking up your discard to get started so you have enough stuff to banish, figuring out when you kind of want to put on the gas and really just switch to damage and go above rate repeatedly so that your opponent has to play a bit more defense and can't make you have to block ideally yeah anything else about leviah before we move on to bolton no i think we'll talk more about her on on her episode bolton um bolton sort of this like mid-rangey setup deck that can be pretty above rate but requires some key cards to do it i'll start by saying that I think we've both had the least success with Bolton as compared to any of the other heroes in the format. Previously, I was pretty much on avoid Bolton. I think that I'm going to be trying to maybe force or steer towards Bolton for a little while and see if I can't figure some stuff out for him with Nationals coming up. But I just kind of want to give you the background that neither of us are in love with Bolton and haven't had the most success with him. I think a lot of that is because charge is a little bit of a weak mechanic like requiring a whole card to go into your soul is very card 
hungry and you don't really get enough payoff. And also requiring higher than base power to be able to use his go again ability is pretty awkward. Like sometimes your opponent can just choose not to block and then you can't give your thing go again and can't do the turn you want to do. Um, and because of that, like Bolton just ends up being kind of clunky a lot of the time. Um, that being said, he can really shine with some key cards. And in particular, I think you really want V of the Vanguard. It can allow for some really, really big turns. It gives, um, lets you banish multiple cards and gives you power for each light card banish to all of your attacks. So you can have some pretty big turns with V. Um, Lumina Ascension, which is a Majestic, can also lead to some very, very powerful turns, just like it does in CC. And then finally, um, Gallantry Gold, the gloves, I think are a great one to pair with with either of those cards. But it does, is it safe to say that our experience has been you kind of need V or Lumina plus Gallantry Gold to have like a basis for a decent Bolton deck? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll obviously talk in more depth about it in this episode as well, but I think you need at least like two Vs or a combination of like a V and a Lumina and Gallantry Gold is a must. Like if you don't have Gallantry Gold, it's if you have no Gallantry Gold and you're playing Bolton, I think you can't even consider playing him. That said, I think you'll end up with a Gallantry Gold just because I'll be pretty wary to say like if there's more than one Bolton player, I think you should be staying away from it because the cards you want are mythics and rares in this deck. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I really want to, if I was drafting a tournament and not just sciencing, like I would want to be getting in the deck for V Lumina or Gallantry Gold. And I think those are like the main cards that would draw me in. And if I'm not getting those cards and I'm just seeing like, okay warrior cards not not so interested mm-hmm. same same there is just the actually no i'll talk about how to beat bolden or how so, something to keep in mind about bolton during the draft por- portion i'll talk about that in a later episode yeah so all in all that kind of gives you like an idea of the different heroes and i think Outside of Prism, most of the heroes are a little bit more setup-based than we see in most uh, limited formats. They generally need to be thinking about their win conditions, often from even as early as deck construction and the drafting process, and really have like a plan to win the game. We talked about that with Chain and Levia, and Bolton is like sort of the same thing. You're like charging up, building up your soul, and then trying to have a big turn with some combination of these power cards that you have, and that's kind of like how you win the game. Um, and even Prism does have some ability to set up, although because she tends to have the best late game, she can also sometimes get away with just playing pure value and not having to have that that like that uh, that setup. But but she is capable of doing stuff like you know phantasmify on uh, dominate attack and make it have not no go again with uh, the gloves dreamweavers, and then you can do like a ten dominate or something like that pretty easily. And um, so you know she does have the ability to set up these like really powerful game closing plays, but she doesn't require it as much as the other heroes let's uh move on to the generics of the set i guess the first one to start off with is the i guess what i would call the best cards in the set and those are gonna be poppers and what i mean by poppers we're just talking about six power attacks that you can use to block with and that is so you can destroy phantasm cards that prism attacks you with on general, cards with Phantasm is just like highly overrate. And if you are never popping a Phantasm card, you're probably going to end up losing just because their cards are going to hit harder than your cards. And the best way to come back from that is to block with a six power card. In this set, we have four poppers at common. We have one at rare uh, in the generic slots. Light has one popper at rare and mythic. Warrior has one mythic. And Shadow has a common that can pop at yellow and red. And a couple of the specializations that Chain and Levia can play that's are, that are also poppers. And then, needless to say, Levia is a brute. So she has multiple cards that are poppers. But a biggest note there would be some of Levia's cards don't have a block value, so you actually can't use those to block some things. Like Swing with Big Tree doesn't actually have a 
have a defense value, so you can't actually attempt to block with that card. It's just as a side note. So I think relative to Uprising, there are probably a few more poppers, it feels like. But I think that the poppers are also sort of of higher importance because unlike Uprising, which really like supports two Dromai's and that's kind of it, I think that Prism is the class or the hero with the deepest card pool. And there can often be just just in the way like Assassin or Phi in previous sets, like there can be three or four prisms and the deck can be pretty solid, um, especially three. I think three prisms is like still pretty good for the prisms. And because of this, like you're going to be seeing quite a bit of prism um, in your pod, most likely, and having access to some of those poppers really does change the matchup. So for me, I'm picking up these poppers, like pack one, pick one, almost nothing is beating it unless... I guess probably some legendary pieces would probably beat these poppers, but other than that, I can't really think of any cards to pick these poppers over. Is that the same kind of evaluation you have so far with the poppers as myself? I might be slightly lower on them than you are. I think I still pick them very, very highly, and I'm pretty happy to pack one, pick one them, but I might pick specifically like really like flexible and powerful cards like like howl uh howl from beyond is that uh, red is like a pretty high pick because it goes in either deck uh levi or a chain and it's very strong um I'm trying to think of like if there's many others but some of those cards are really good i'll sometimes pick the um what we're going to talk about next which is the class specific equipment because i think all of that is really strong and i guess the way i view it is like if i see like a hooves of the shadow beast or something. If I pass that hooves, I think I'm giving a pretty big Levia signal. And also, if I try to draft Levia afterwards and I'm missing that hooves, like I'm I'm pretty unlikely to see another one cuz like on average is going to be about two in the draft. I've passed one that someone's certainly going to take and then like the chances of me seeing another one it just might not happen and if my deck doesn't have hooves, it's just similar to Bolton without Gallantry Gold is just much 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 worse. And um, and so I'm pretty happy picking up those class equipment as like a early pick just to give myself the option to draft that and have access to that equipment if I do wind up in that class. But I think outside of those like super premium cards, I'm picking the, the poppers next. I think I'm just like less willing as you to like pick up these class specific cards when I don't actually want to end up in those heroes anyways for myself. So I think I ended up picking the six power cards before all that to make sure that I have access to them, even if I end up in a hero that's not Prism. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think sometimes my drafts are like, pack one, pick one, hooves. Pack one, pick two, Aether Ironweave. Pack one, pick three, Gallantry Gold. And I'm just like, great, I can play any of these. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then other people... <laughs> Is this why we end up with like less equipments in our pools too? Yeah, this is why everyone's like, oh, I didn't see this. And then they're like, oh, Yuki cut me. And I'm like, yeah, because if you just make sure you have the class equipment, it just makes your deck so much better if you draft that class. So, And you have 15 card packs, which we didn't mention at the top, but does make a difference. The extra three cards per draft means that you have a little bit more time to kind of find your lane and stay open and speculate. Yeah, we have 15 cards that we get to cut, not including equipments. So probably like we get 10 cards that we can cut. We can actually have some dead picks in the last like, either in the very early or at the very end of end of your packs. Even if you have some dead picks, it's fine. You can make a deck. It's great. Should we move on to equipment? Yep, yeah, let's move on to um, equipments. We've talked about it a lot already, but class equipments are premiums. They're, they're good. Like, what is it? Aether Ironweave for Runeblade. This card is just like, a battle sworn that blocks for one so it essentially just gains you one life by picking it and it has a relevant ability uh for your pop-off turn as chain gallantry gold also has a battle sworn for one so it immediately gains you one life and does like minimum two more damage or even more depending on how how much combo you can put onto that card same with hooves who's also at battle sworn one yeah it's battle worn one and like essentially like snapdragon scalers except you can use it on like any of your levi attacks because they almost all banish wow broken (laughs) and um what do you think about the i think the most divisive one or like the most like subtle one is uh dream weavers what do you think about dream weavers for prism i never see this card i think everyone else values this card 
highly more high higher higher than i do mm-hmm. i haven't played with dreamweavers for maybe like eight to nine drafts unfortunately wow. i would pick it if it comes to me but i'm not picking it highly okay i think i'm also lower on dreamweavers than the other class equipments but I think I'm higher on it than you are. So like, I'm probably not pack one pick winning Dreamweavers unless the pack's really bad. Like, I'd be pretty unhappy about it. But I do think that the Spell Void is like kind of relevant. And I actually really value the um, ability to give an Illusionist attack no Phantasm because it lets you find a spot like often in the late game where you can choose to just um, keep two cards and come in for seven and strip their hand. And some like sometimes in those spots, you're just like, mm, if I do this and I get popped, it's really bad for me. Um, but if they if they don't have a popper, I probably win the game. I, I find you can like often wind up in these spots. And I think just having the ability to guarantee that is really, really strong. You can even, it also makes cards like Phantasmify, which is a one cost your next attack gains plus five and phantasm and is an illusionist attack it's basically like another spears but you can also combine it with dominate it lets you it lets you do those kinds of lines which like i just don't want to play pumps at all if i don't have um dreamweavers so i think this just comes down to because i'm picking up the generic six attacks a little bit higher i end up with more of them i'm not really relying on my phantasm phantasm cards to attack with so dream weavers go down in value even more and i actually value i guess we'll move on to the uh, next the class of equipments the ironhide equipments mm-hmm. i actually value ironhide gauntlet significantly higher than just like I, I i value ironhide equipment just significantly higher than the dream weavers equipment which ends up meaning if I see a pack with Ironhide Gauntlet, I would end up picking it. And then if I see a Dreamweavers after, I would end up passing it. Okay, that's fair enough. And uh, yeah, we'll just talk about the Ironhide equipment now. The, there's a helmet, there's a headpiece, a chest piece, arm piece, and a leg piece for the Ironhide equipment. And they all do the same thing. Is when you block with it, you may pay a resource. And if you do, it gains plus two armor and destroy it. When the combat chain closes. So as I just said. I think these cards, these cards are very very good. If you can get multiples. The premium number to find is 3. If you find 3 Ironhide equipments. A blue pitch in your deck. Turns into a 6 blocks on one of your turn. Yeah. And you can also divide it between. Like you can block like a 4 and a 2 or something. If you need to. Which is really nice. Yes yes. On, on like a chains on one of the chains turns where they start to shackle if you can just pitch a blue and go like block out one of your attacks for four and have one resource floating and you're basically telling them you're going to use an iron hide but what are they going to do not attack you i do think some smaller amounts of iron hide can be okay specifically into prism you can do stuff like pitch a blue to iron hide and then make a spectral shield um, after their action point is used up and you've kind of like you've blocked two and then you've given yourself ward one so you've kind of like effectively blocked three in a way but then you also have access to your weapon on your turn which can be nice against decks like um leviah specifically who has a ton of poppers so it's not to say you can't play it in smaller numbers but yes it definitely gets better if you have two or or even three if you have two then you can like do that do that line you just talked about twice Mm-hmm. There's just like a lot of different ways to use Ironhide in exactly Prism, but in other heroes, I think if you get three, you definitely play them. But if you only have like one, it gets pretty awkward to play with it. Uh, I think this will tie in pretty good to the next type of equipment we're going to talk about. One of them would be Blood... How do I say this card? Blood Drop Brocade? Yeah, I think so. So Blood Drop Brocade is a chest equipment. This is instant, destroy it, and you gain one resource. Activate this ability only if you have been dealt damage. Sorry, if you have dealt damage or been dealt damage this turn. And this actually combines pretty well with one of your Ironhide equipments, where if on a turn that you took damage, if it if they're attacking with go again cards, you can actually activate a Blood Drop, generate the one resource, and block with an Ironhide. Which then, if you have one blood drop, you can play one iron hide pretty comfortably. Yeah, that's definitely a good combination to look out for. And the other use I've had with this, Prism can use it to play her yellow rare auras that cost four. I find those cards are like really hard to play in limited. Um, your life totals are so low and 
forcing your opponent's action point is like a lot worse and limited because it's just like a weaker format whereas in cc they're usually giving up more but in limited like sometimes you're they just have some lousy attack anyways and they're pretty happy to break your aura but um if you can play it off a of blue pitch and blood drop it makes the a lot of them significantly more playable so um another kind of use for it to look out for uh let's talk about the other equipment so there's a card that's banned in constructed formats called stubby hammers how good is this card in this format i think stubbies is a pretty high pick in chain specifically um he's able to go wide and then pump up his attacks and uh just kind of present these huge combat chains and you can often get like two maybe three value out of stubbies which is really good um but it's also a card that often will come a little bit late because it doesn't really fit into prism or Leviathan. they don't tend to have the three uh three base power or less clause satisfied very often i feel like i feel like stubbies is also intended to be like viable in the right bolton deck because bolton has like i feel like this is like package for bolton like he has these like three power zero cost charge cards and like there's like belittle minimalism which we'll talk about soon so i feel like there's like supposed to be a package here that works with stubbies but i've personally never been able to pull it off and i think competing with gallantry gold is a little bit awkward so there there might be something there but i haven't actually seen it come into fruition and it might just be bad the only cards that gets buffed in bolton like the class specific card is like bolt of courage which is a zero for three and engulfing light which is also a zero for three and actually every other card hits for more than three at red so it is a little bit awkward and it also combines with like overload technically because your overload goes up to four uh, have to be like a bit careful if you're against prism or something or they have equipment but i don't know if it's a real deck or not but it's it's something i've thought about before <laughs> okay okay that's that's fair that's fair and i guess the last card will be time skippers i personally almost never play this card it's a little bit difficult to get this to start working where have you played this card i like this card specifically in chain for the late game and i think probably as a prerequisite to playing this card you need aether iron weave to go with it because you get the two resources and it makes it just so much easier to actually pay for um but i think you usually want either time skippers or seeping shadows in chain if you are going for like an end game pitch stack because it's just there's not that many sources of extra go again in the set like there's like captain's call but it's rare uh so just being able to give your blood debt go again or gain extra action points is actually pretty good for your final turn so if you're setting up like chain pitch deck end games, time skippers might be like an important piece for that. Yeah, but again, something you can expect to pick up late. I don't think other decks really want it. I typically just end up picking up an Ironhide leg somewhere, and then time skipper never becomes a pick after that point for me. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so I think that was all the generic. Actually, that was basically all the equipment. There aren't any generic legendary equipment. We can touch up a little bit on the legendaries in this set. How good are the legendaries in this set? The shuffling cards are kind of whatever, I think. Actually, Doomsday might be good. I've never seen it in Limited. Eclipse is going to be almost impossible to turn off, turn on. I think Carrion Husk is going to be insane, of course. Um, <laughs> if you see Carrion Husk, you should pick it. What else is there? Phantasmal Footsteps would be very strong. Being able to... The, the block in combination with your Iron Eye is good, and... Well, being able to mitigate the Phantasm pops um, is, is very strong as well. And what else? Valiant Dynamo? This card has to be good. Have you played with it? No, but like it's Battle War in one, and you probably swing your weapons twice, like at least one or two times in the game. So even if you get two block out of it, like it's already really good. Yeah, I think an easy way to say this would be almost all the equipment legendaries are pretty broken. I think you should pick it and that would also be like a strong reason to go into Bolton or Chain, honestly. And uh, just the shuffling legendaries, Doomsday and Eclipse, I would probably stay away from it. Doomsday, Doomsday, interesting, but I don't know if I want to try it. I would try it, but I don't know if I would try it at like Nationals or something, but I would try it in an Armory. I really wish I can ha have a chance to try Doomsday before, the f before Nationals. Because, like, I don't 
want to open Doomsday at Nationals, pass it, and then lose to it. What is the condition for Doomsday? You need like cards uh, in Doomsday's condition is Doomsday's condition is play Doomsday only if there are six or more cards with blood debt in your banish zone. And it creates a Blasmofet, the Soul Harvester token, and it is a shadow instant for zero cost and pitches for blue. I read Blasmofet real quick. Uh, this card is a shadow token demon ally that attacks for six with six health. And once per turn, it attacks for zero cost. And whenever Blasmofet Blasmofet attacks, you may banish a shadow card from your hand, and if you do, you may banish a card from the defending hero's soul. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this has gotta be at least, like, pretty solid. It's just not that hard to get 6 blood debt in your banish zone, and then you get, like, a repeatable 6 power thing that banishes stuff, and like, the the removing stuff from soul is gonna be super real and limited, where, like, half of your games are against light heroes. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. The only problem I have with Blasmofet is it only has 6 health, so, like, it dies pretty easily against, like, Prism. Yeah, but it's just, like, a zero-cost 6 attack that they have to, like, hit, and it's also blue. How is that not insane? Okay, okay, you know what, you know what? It's If I think of it as a blue 6-power attack, you're right, that is pretty good. Yeah. That also gains you 6 life? Okay, 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 you sold me, you sold me. That card's, okay, card, card's probably pretty good. Haven't played with it, but like, surely it's good, right? That's fair. That's fair. Okay, uh, let's move on. Um, we have the next topic we have would be the brandish belittle minnowism combo with, I guess, the stubby hammers as well. So the base three power package. Did you want to talk about this? They're good. You can draft them pretty aggressively. I think brandish is just a pretty solid card in general. Um, one for three, and then one for three go again is just like pretty solid and then you also sometimes like they they want to block it or it's essentially like a leg tap belittle minnowism is strong and constructed and very strong in limited if you can make it work as well you do need to draft both these pieces pretty aggressively to get it at least in our meta but when you usually if you start drafting it aggressively you tend to get the other pieces so you kind of get rewarded for picking it early and i think its best home is probably chain yeah i think so Red Minnowism is just good to play, and Blue Minnowism is just the resource. So, like, it depends on, like, which part of Belittle you're looking for. If you're looking for Belittle to generate you resources, then you're really aggressing, aggressively looking for the Blue Minnowism. And if you're looking for Belittle as, like, a damage card, then you're going to be aggressively looking for the Red Belittles and the Red Minnowism together. So, like, honestly there's there could be two people picking up belittle for two different styles of decks and if you're really looking for the resources you can just pick up blue belittles and blue minnowisms which is fine just to generate resources um but if you need the damage then red belittle with red minnowisms would be pretty good or you can have a combination of both which is like pretty pretty insane when you have that like modal selectability if you have like red belittles with red red minnowism and blue minnowism just as a side note, if you are drafting Blue Minnowism, you only actually need one copy. Uh, if you pitch it, it goes back into your deck. You can go look for it again, and then you can pitch it again. So it's like the constructed thing of if you, you only actually need to play one Minnowism Blue with three Belittle Reds kind of thing. Um, you can have multiple Belittles and only one Blue Minnowism. It gets a little bit more awkward if you're playing the red minnowism, then you would need multiple red minnowism for your multiple red belittles. Although I think specifically in chain, like you are kind of short on like it feels like you have to work a little bit to get your non-attack count up, especially like good non-attacks. And so if you have enough three powers, red minnowism is like also just an okay card. Yeah, card good, card strong. Zero for three go again. Yep. Uh, probably the last kind of like power card to look out for is Zealous Belting. Um, it's a five power, two cost attack that has go again if you've pitched something with higher base power than it. So this usually means you usually want the red one and you can pitch a yellow six power to get come in for five go again, which is really solid. And that's, I think, pretty much exclusively a Leviah and a Prism card. Yeah, I mean, again, Zealous Belting, like, constructed staple, and it's it's good here as well. So um, Zealous Belting, I think, is, like, a 
decently high pick early just because it's both flexible and pretty powerful i found this card you can also just play it in bolted and chain as well if you really wanted to the cards that require you to play it it's going to be a little bit more specific there is a shadow card that is a yellow that has six power so you can also if you play multiple copies of that card you can pitch that to play zealous belting and chain in Bolton, it's quite a bit more awkward. If you're needing to use four resources anyways, then you could pitch like a red six power first and then play Zealous Belting. But definitely the worst in Bolton. But I think Chain can definitely play this card. Yeah, that's fair. If you have uh, Lunar Tide Plunder, the six power Jay was talking about, a yellow, then it's uh, pretty reasonable to play in Chain, I suppose. Yeah, it's five go again. If you don't want to shackle a lot, it's fine. So those are kind of like, I think, the main things to talk about at generic. Do you want to talk about maybe some of the more, some of the cards that we should maybe like avoid or a little more situational? Yeah, let's do that. I'm just going to start off with the uh, really, really bad cards. These cards, I don't think you should ever play in any circumstance. That's going to be Talisman of Dowsing and Memorial Ground. I don't think I've ever seen a scenario where these cards were playable or even close to good memorial ground can only put attack action cards so you can't put non-attack action cards if memorial ground can put like lumina ascension on top or something i may i may think about playing it in bolton but even then it's like quite quite suspicious or like if you're thinking about like trying to set up some banishes with chain it's it's not good like just 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 draw the card or just You'll, you'll have other ways to find a way to banish your cards. Just pitch stack it. Do, do something else. You know, you don't don't spend a card to do it. Yeah, like, it's like the blue is kind of playable if you're really scrapping for playables and you can, like, put a Bounding Demigon on top as you're banishing because you do, you do get to respond to the Shackle, but it's still, it's still not where you want to be because you're still just, like, trading a card for Bounding Demigon and as good a card... As good as Bounding Demigon is, like it's good because you can hit it off the top and get it as a free card. Most of the shadow cards are pretty uh, underrate on on their face, so you don't really want to be trading your card in hand for like a random Shadow Rune Blade Blood Deck card. Other than that, there are two cards that we wanted to talk about. Uh, one being a very bad defense reaction card. This is probably the worst defense reaction in the game. It's called Rise Above. It's a rare, so it's not going to pop up that often, but it is a two-cost defense reaction that blocks for four at red, and it says you may put a card from your hand on top of your deck rather than pay Rise Above's cost. I feel like this is supposed to be a chain card because you can block with it and then put a card on top and then banish it to Blood Net so you don't like really lose the card. The problem is... like. Chain is so aggressive and people are so often just trying to fatigue you that you really don't end up wanting defense reactions in your deck anyways, is my kind of my feeling on it. So I don't know. Yeah, same. Honestly, a better card to block with would be just like pound for a pound, which is a popper. You know, like that card just yeah. blocks basically as well as rise above. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. I guess you can combine it with Iron Hide, and then you can pitch a blue and block for four and two. But there's still just like you're blocking six with two cards, and you have to have a blue and you have to have Iron Hide, and like anytime you don't, it's just terrible. So, yeah, I, I think you should not play Rise Above. I haven't seen a good use case for it. Yeah, I zero. No, the, just don't do it. The, the blue <laughs> and the yellow are better than Bobbles. I'll give you that. Blue and the yellow is better than Bobbles. Ooh, I don't know if the yellow is better than a Bobble. Why not? Oh, well, I guess it's just. Oh, you're right. It's just you're better right. than a bubble, it's... right? Like it's still bad. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It is better than a bubble. It has slightly more text than a bubble. A card with the exact same properties with text has to be better than a card without any text. You're right. You're right. So yellow and blue is better than a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about all we can say about it. Um, avoid those card talisman and dowsing. Also avoid that card. Not. It stops arcane somehow. You have to like use your action point. And then it gets, oh no, you don't use your action point. It has go again, but it's only spell void one. So you're basically like making your card into a one block. Yeah, the only time this card is like sometimes consider playing would be if you have the iron hide. No, aether iron weave. If you have aether iron weave and no other um, non-attack action, then you probably have to play one <laughs> copy of this. Then 
this is will be your only way to trigger your Aether Iron Weave, and it's probably better to have a way to trigger Aether Iron Weave than zero ways. So probably like that would be the only time I would play this card. Okay, just don't don't play this card. <laughs> there are a couple other generics we can talk about that can be like situationally kind of good. First one is Yinti Yanti. On its face, it looks like a bad card. It is a zero for three that blocks for two. But if you control an aura, it gets plus one while attacking and plus one defense while defending. So it's essentially a wounded blow. Is that the card? The zero for four with three block? Yeah. So long as you have an aura, which makes it very good in chain because shackles are auras and you just always have them. And or like very solid in chain. It's not like incredible, but it's like totally serviceable and you can play it. Yeah. It's a wounded blow. <laughs> yeah, it's a wounded blow, exactly. It's about as good as wounded blow was in WTR. And similarly, it's pretty decent in Prism if you are a deck that is able to make spectral shields or auras and keep them around. If your deck is not set up to do that, it's a little bit more uh dubious. Yeah, it get it gets a little bit awkward with uh, Prism just because like it's hard to create auras, and when you do, it's hard to keep them around. So then like you can't always line up your Yanti Yantis with the auras to be on the board. So really, this is like a card that Chain gets to have, whereas all the other heroes really don't have access to this card. Yeah, I agree. Mostly a Chain card, and then. Uh... Overload. Have you found uses for Overload? If you can buff Overload, this card's insane. This is a... Overload is a red pitch, zero cost for three, blocks for two. It has Dominate, but if it says Overload hits, it gains go again. This card, because it it's a zero cost for three, it's like super easy to block if you don't do anything to it. So it's pretty bad when you don't do anything with it. But if you get like... Even like a Phantasmify or like warmongers recital just like any kind of buff like minnowism then this just extends your turn on turns where you wouldn't have been able to anyways so if you were like a chain that goes belittle find red minnowism play red minnowism play overload then make a shackle play a card from your banish zone and then attack with galaxy black at the end that's just like a really really strong turn and you didn't actually need to expend that much resources to like other than making a soul shackle to get go again and over and overlord was like a very efficient way of getting an extra attack and being able to expend your hand a little bit better so like it has good uses it is just a little bit awkward to turn it on so you'll need to have enough ways to turn it on for this card to be good and and notably like all the classes kind of have access to ways to increase power. So this isn't even like just specifically one class. It can kind of see play in most things if you really wanted it to, although it probably is a little bit less awkward in Chain and Bolton. Like I feel like I feel like Prism Prism really wants to have like you're pretty happy just playing like your heralds and your spears, but you could play overload. Leviya really wants to have like quite a few six powers, so like you could use overload as a win con if that's what you need to do. But I think you'd rather get like she has other attacks with dominate that you'd rather use. So I feel like it's a little better in Chain and Bolton, but any class can play this if you have the right setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and technically, belittle is a generic. So if you just mm-hmm. like put all of these cards together, you could be like basically any hero and do that same thing. Anything else you want to touch on here before we wrap up? The last little bit, I just want to talk about the mythic generics and how good they are. Uh, Exclude Confidence is a red pitch, zero cost, four attack. It has a lot of text on it. It's it's solid. It's like a wounded blow with additional text. I would play it almost every time. And, it's, and when it's good, it's really, really good. Same with Nourishing Emptiness. Nourishing Emptiness is a red pitch, two cost that attacks for six, so it is a popper. It basically has no other text in this uh, in this format unless you draw it on turn one, and when you do, you win the game, so congratulations. Uh, I would pack one, pick one it. Yeah, agreed. And the last card is uh, Rousey Ancients. I have never played with this card yet. I have, yeah. It's not the easiest to make work, but you can make it work in Leviah or, um, or Prism. So would you pick it highly? Is it not that good or? Um, I don't know. It, it's okay. Requires you to play a four card hand to resolve it. And you do need 
a pretty specific mix of stuff to make it work. Um, if you're a prism in, in particular, like you need to have some red heralds or I guess yellow enigma chimeras in combination with like yellow heralds. So it is like pretty demanding on your deck construction. And um, Leviah probably fits a little bit easier. I think I think it's probably a pretty high pick in Leviah, but prism is like it's a card you can play. It's also a blue, which is nice, but like it does block two and it's kind of hard to pull off. So I don't think it's a super high pick, but it is it's decent. Um, it lets you do like, if you do resolve it, it is very good. It's just not, I think it's non-trivial to resolve it in limited basically. Okay. So quite hard to resolve the card. I think so. Like, I think you will know if you have the deck that it is good in. And I think that it's more of a card that like, I'd either pick up kind of like mid or late pack one and then try and build around and see if my deck can incorporate it or pick it up later uh, in the draft when I already know that my deck can satisfy it pretty easily. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, yeah, that's everything I want to talk about, Monarch. All right, that's going to wrap us up for this week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a comment down below on YouTube, or you can head over to Twitter. I'm at Yukili Bender. Jay is at Ueda J. Or you can email us at onthebobble at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about um, your experiences drafting Monarch. And if there's a certain hero or a certain topic that you're hoping gets covered related to Monarch Limited or or even just in general, let us know. Um, if it's not Monarch Limited, it might be a little bit before we get to it. But but yeah, if there's like a certain hero that you're really keen to hear about first or you have some questions about the format, please uh, let us know. We're really looking forward to kind of diving into each of the classes and diving into Monarch Limited over the next uh, coming weeks and months here. Um, until next time, good luck at your local armories and um, any other events you might have coming up. And um, hopefully you can be ready for your nationals and pre-releases that are around the corner. Good night, everyone. <laughs>